Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Uh, the uh, third thing is to call a relative or a friend we haven't spoken to in a while. And I'm sure all of us have uh, some friends that we haven't spoken to uh, for whatever reason, because you, you just never take the time to talk to all of your friends. So you have some one or two friends who you haven't spoken to in a while, and call them and get them give them an update on how you're doing and find out how, how they're doing. Uh, and that's often refreshing. Sometimes uh, it can be uh, depressing, uh, but uh, more often than that, uh, it can be refreshing. And then uh, it says day four, ask, ask for help. Uh, we all can need can use some help in some ways. Sometimes the help is just uh, 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 say, uh, give me a call sometime, or uh, uh, when can we get together, or uh, uh, what are you doing? Uh, uh, any any programs we can share together. Uh, so call somebody and ask for help uh, uh, because that uh, uh, puts you together with someone else, which is a, a good way to address the loneliness. And then uh, uh, put away the uh, cell phones and actually uh, have a face-to-face -face conversation and talk with somebody. Uh, you know, you see these, you see these people at dinner table, and everybody's got a cell phone. Mm -mm. <laughs> and uh, these days, uh, uh, cell cell phones reign supreme. And so, put oh. them away, and actually, actually use the phone, to call somebody, and talk with them, and have some FaceTime. Uh, and I think that, that that those are some of the things. Loneliness, of course, is uh, one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest adversaries in this time of uh, the holiday season, which is why the suicide rates are highest between uh, this holiday season and New Year's Eve. Uh, you have suicides, and you have uh, more organ donations uh, as a consequence. Uh, any comments or thoughts about uh, uh, the holiday loneliness that uh, people experience? The older you are, the more friends you lose along the way. So uh, any other thoughts as how you address your loneliness during the uh, holiday season? Dr. Calendar. My father died on the 26th of December, 2012. And so it puts a pall over the whole holiday season for me. So what I try to do is I try to do something for others, for other people. I try to reach out to other people and I try to, I do volunteer. I do things like that. And I do that in memory of him. Great idea. Any other ideas? 
I, I like the idea of um, the FaceTime on the phone. I mean, just just talking to somebody is is good. You know, reaching out and you know contacting someone you haven't talked to in a long time. But FaceTime is even really cooler, I, I think. You know, than a, a regular uh, yeah voice call. Thank you. Because you can see him. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, I've I've seen what you're talking about. People at the dinner table and everybody's on on the phone <laughs> talking to somebody else rather than the person right next. Yeah. To you. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've I've seen that at at intersections downtown in D.C. You know, mm -hmm. ten ten people are standing at the corner waiting for the light, and ten people are on the cell phone, and nobody. Yeah, and uh, they cross the street the same way. That's why we have so many accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other comments? Good morning, everybody. Um, I like the idea of joining a group. Um, several about a year year two ago, one of my old girlfriends I hadn't really seen in a long time invited me to join um, a Pacino group in her senior citizen building. And so twice a month, we have been getting together and I met new people and it's, it's a good fellowship. So that, that's, Great. Yeah. that's a good idea to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts? Sometimes I have um, moments when I think about my family who have closed their eyes and instead of thinking about negative things, I think about the happy thoughts. And I know we've had a lot of happy happiness in our family. And I think about those, and that really helps me through those moments of loneliness. Any other, other sharing you want to do about that? Yeah, I'm trying to get my sister on board with this loneliness thing because um, she's getting into a bad habit of eating by herself. She used to go down to the dining hall and sit with a group of people, but now she's changing. She wants to eat by herself in her room and I don't think that's good. Hmm. You have influence on her? No. Zero. <laughs> no. Carol probably has some influence on her. Uh, Carol is not on the line right now. Uh, but yeah, she's trying to help her, you know, to be more social, go down and, you know, they all eat breakfast in their room by themselves, but they go downstairs to the dining hall for lunch. They go down for dinner. And she's, and, and guess what? It costs more for them to bring the food up to her room. She doesn't care. So that's not a benefit. She needs to go down and be with other people yeah. like she had been doing. Yeah. But I think there's some depression mixed up in there somewhere. Yeah. 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 John, um, speaking about um, your sister, if you could share with me her address and stuff, uh, I'm going to talk to the senior circle people at Liberty. You know, she was a part of our group. Right. And maybe um, I can get them to go visit or something. 
Okay, I'll do that. He'll cheer her up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Carol's back on the line. I was telling him about Joyce is having a hard time going down eating with her other friends, and we're on the discussion of loneliness. Uh, hers is more in the form of she's in a place where she really doesn't know but what to be, but she needs to be there, and she realized she needs to be there because it's helping her. Um, and not so much loneliness because she got people around her. She's just depressed about it in a facility that she'd rather be at home, no matter how much she's not receiving help, but she's in a place that's receiving help. So that's a conflict. So during this season particularly. Do you have any influence on her going down to eat with the rest of the group? Dinner? No, I'm calling all the ones that do like her sister and her daughter and et cetera, if they can work on her, you know. Uh, any other thoughts? If not, there was an interesting article in the Washington Post also that uh, said that uh, they did an experiment in which they uh, decreased uh, the salt intake by one teaspoonful a day. And that uh, significantly lowered blood pressures. Uh, uh, some people just love to eat salt and they think they can't have food without salt and they don't forget all the other ways that you can make food taste good without salt. But uh, uh, they did this uh, research on hundreds of people and identified that just decreasing salt intake by one teaspoonful is enough to lower your blood pressure, which is an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. How many of you still ever use... had potato chips without salt? <laughs> they no. do make it. Try one. It tastes yeah. like cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> we are so used to the salt on the potato chips. So when you That's actually true. eat the potato chips without salt. But anyway, <laughs> we shouldn't be eating potato chips anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lay's, L-A-Y-S has a brand, you know, they call them baked potato chips, you know, so they... Yeah, it it doesn't taste like anything, but I mean it's you know, but it's uh it's healthier for you. <laughs> Just okay, buy I guess a smaller we... bag and don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, okay, John. I guess you can start the the. Uh... Oh yeah, this is uh something I put together. Uh, guidelines for health screening in older patients uh, because uh, it was interesting because. There's a couple of articles that talk about the fact that uh, after certain ages, you may not need to be screening. Uh, for example, uh, we've talked about this before that uh, cervical cancer screening, which is pap smears, are recommended up to the age of 65, which doesn't mean that you no longer need to see the gynecologist, but it means you don't need to get a pap smear for cervical cancer. And of course, if you've had uh, uh, HPV uh, vaccination, that also decreases the need for uh, getting pap smears. Um, second, colorectal cancer screening is recommended 
with colonoscopies recommended through the age of 75. For people at average risk, it's not recommended for adults at average risk after the age of 75. Uh, but of course, if you uh, have a, a different history, uh, you have cancer in your family, then that's a different story. So average risk means that you don't have a family history of cancer. And for women at average risk of breast cancer, screening for mammography is recommended up to age 75. Uh, people still have cancer of the breast after 75, but uh, the mammography is not thought to be necessary after 75. Uh, this has nothing to do with if you feel a lump in your breast, because that's different. Because that's not screening, that's taking care of a problem. Individuals may be encouraged to continue screening at old ages if they have a personal history of cancer, a family history of cancer, or a history of genetic mutations that put them at increased risk for cancer. If there's no family history, most people over the age of 85 should no longer need cancer screening. We're going to say if you have symptoms that are concerning for cancers, such as bleeding or having a, a lump or a change in the color of, a, of your skin, this is not considered screening. This is considered a workup for a potentially serious problem that you need to have taken care of anyway. And, and that's, that really is just to remind you that uh, uh, screening is uh, to try to, try to take care of something that is not symptomatic. And so therefore you can catch it early and uh, prevent cancer from developing. Lung cancer screening is recommended for adults age 55 to 80 who have a history of smoking, including those who quit smoking within the last 15 years. The recommended screening is a low dose CAT scan of the lungs, uh, which uh, uh, primarily involves those who smoke or, or those who are victims of secondary smoking. And many of us have had the history of being around people who smoke, especially those who are married to people who smoke. Uh, men over 65 should have an abdominal ultrasound to screen for an abdominal aortic aneurysm. This condition may not have any symptoms. So, uh, Ultrasound, which is painless and not uh, not uncomfortable, is something that you can do without any complication. So, uh, we said men over sixty-five, women over sixty-five uh, can have it as well. But it's just that more men have abdominal aortic aneurysms than women. But uh, so there's no reason why a woman who's over sixty-five couldn't have an abdominal ultrasound as well too make that diagnosis. Uh, the other thing that we recommend is getting the cholesterol checked every year to help identify, see if your cholesterol level is high because cholesterol lowering medications may be necessary to, to prevent the development of arteriosclerosis and other conditions. Uh, so these are some of the uh, uh, hints that I shared. Uh, uh, any comments or 
questions about the screening issues. I had a question. Um, I wanted to know what is meant by a low-dose CT scan. Okay, well, low-dose means that this is not the same CT scan that you get for other conditions. Uh, so a low-dose CT scan is a CT scan that's done for the lungs that uh, has a lower dose than the regular CAT scan. So so they, they actually... Uh, have what they call a low dose cat, cat scan, lung cat scan for for those smokers. Sylvia has her hand up. Yeah, Dr. Kellner, um, good morning, everybody. How do how do they uh, detect if an individual like my mom's 90, 91, and um, she doesn't do a colonoscopy? How do they detect after the seventy five if there are polyps that need to be uh, removed? How would they well, know that if they're no longer doing the colonoscopy? They wouldn't. That's why uh, if you have a family history or if you have symptoms, uh, then you should have a colonoscopy. But if you don't have any symptoms, you have normal bowel movements, you don't have any, any uh, symptoms at all, and you have no family history of cancer, then they're not suggesting. But uh, the point you're making is that you can't make a diagnosis of POPs if you don't do a colonoscopy. Uh, so if you have any any history of, uh, but I think the data suggests that uh, the likelihood of you having anything like that is not common, but uh, there are exceptions to the rule. And, so and if you um, had a colonoscopy and every time you've had one, they had to remove polyps, do you, uh, recommend that you still get them over 75? I would think so. If every time, if every time you have a uh, colonoscopy, they have to remove polyps, that's a suggestion that you are a polyp former. And so, yes, that's, that would make it different because you have a different genetic uh, uh, makeup. And that would mean that you, uh, because they, they recommend, uh, colonoscopy every 10 years if you have no polyps. But if you have mm -hmm. polyps, then you need to have colonoscopy every five years. And if that is the case, then you fit into a different category. Okay. Dr. Callender, first of all, excuse me for not being visible. Uh, John helped me log on, but John, I don't know which magic button to push so that you can see me. But Dr. Callender, my question is, oftentimes with my family, we talk about health a lot. Um, all of them are saying that they don't have to have a colonoscopy, but every 10 years. And if you've had polyps, and then the next time you have your colonoscopy, they're not detected, do you still have to do what's required of me now? Five years, they just won't go to 10? Well, five years is only if you have polyps. Uh, 10 years is if you have no polyps. Yeah. And so I asked at the last time I had my colonoscopy, we'll see you in five years, but you just said, I don't have any polyps, but I want to see you anyway. Okay. Okay. So maybe that's his preference. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, may, may well be. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, there are exceptions to every rule. And, and, and mm -hmm. if you have a, a family history of cancer, then that would be make you uh, different. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And the other issue is if you have a condition that's going to uh, cause you to die within less than five years, that's uh, another reason for you mm. not to have screening. But uh, And my sister just question. had one. She has hers every 10 years. And she's 70. And he told her she didn't have to come back. Yeah, that that's uh, that that's because she her next time would be ten years from then. That would she would be eighty. Mm. And uh, uh, the reason they say that uh, uh, screening colonoscopy after eighty is not recommended is that there are some complications associated with colonoscopy. And uh, uh, when you get to the point where the risk of complications of colonoscopy exceed the risk for uh, you developing a polyp, then uh, uh, the, the screening is no longer thought necessary. Mm -hmm. But that's, a, that's an area of uh, controversy. But this is in general, if you have no, polyp, no history of polyps and uh, uh, you have no uh, diarrhea or constipation or any of that and uh, uh, then uh, it is thought that uh, uh, you don't need to have colonoscopy. Mm. Okay, thank you. Carol? Yeah, Dr. Um, Carol. I was, um, there's a test that advertised every once in a while, I would get it in the mail and it's in Annapolis Hospital, I guess, that you can get this one body scan that detects everything. You know yeah. about that? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, most rich people do that. Rich uh, people, they, how much does that thing cost? <laughs> I don't I don't know what it costs, but I, I do know that uh uh for example, one of our uh, one of our surgeons, his mother gets one about every five years or so. But yeah, it, it, it does a complete scan from head to toe. And it can pick up uh, early. Uh, I don't know the cost of it, but it, it is available. And uh, people who uh, have the funds would it would do it every, every year or every other year. Well, it seemed like doctors would have the funds, right? Well, that depends. I don't, not necessarily. Uh, but uh, 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 it, it all depends on your priority. Uh, but uh, th that's something that, uh, uh, for example, they have a program for so-called rich people where they, this is part of what they do every five years. And they have that uh, uh, MRI or CAT scan equivalent that x-rays you from head to toe. And uh, if they find anything, sometimes they find very small lumps or bumps, or, uh, relatively insignificant areas. But uh, uh, then it's a decision as whether you want to do something about it. But uh, it's something that uh, uh, it's, recommended if you can afford it every five years to do something like that. 
Okay, does it, um, you also don't have to have that blood test or does you have to have a blood test too? Because some things can only be determined when you, if you have a blood test, right? Well, uh, they're usually the blood tests are ordinarily done. So that's, that's understood. But the x-ray is something that picks up uh, uh, lumps that would be, would not be detectable otherwise something that you wouldn't be able to feel or anything else, only the x-ray could pick it up. Uh, and uh, this can allow for early diagnosis and early treatment of uh, conditions that wouldn't otherwise be diagnosed. Okay, I'll find out how much it costs. Okay. $860. $860? $850. Okay, it's like a vacation. Mm -hmm. That's a notification, just get scanned. That's right. You're right. Any other comments, questions? Dr. Kelly. Yes, Mary Ellen. I have, uh, my father got colon rectal cancer at 89, and my mother got breast cancer at 90. So, that's, you know, my family, my brothers and I, are, I have to get our screenings every five years. I had polyps only one time in the last 15 years. But um, I was in a, I was in a trial, you know, I like to, to do the studies and, and be involved in those. And I was on this trial for smokers um, doing the low dose uh, CAT scan. Back in 2005, I think, or 2006, we started. And I did it all the way up to 2015 when I developed uh, thyroid cancer. And I, I, they didn't want me to participate anymore after I, after I did that. But I did screenings every year up until that time. And I was in that study. So had you been a smoker before? I smoked for 40 years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And yeah, I, stopped, uh, I, I had stopped. I think I had been stopped five years when I started the program. You know, uh, five years when I started uh, uh, in the, um, the screenings. But uh, like I said, once I got thyroid cancer, they didn't want me to, to get the low dose radiation anymore yeah. so i haven't had one since then do you think that that would be something i could do now or should i not do it i think you qualify okay. because you stopped smoking how long ago uh 20 2005 oh. oh what when did you say 21 2005 oh yeah so you yeah, yeah, who quit smoking within the last 15 years. So that's you. Hmm. So actually, 2005 would be 18 years, right? Right. Yeah. So you you may or not. It says those who quit smoking within the last 15 years. Right. So, so you wouldn't qualify. I think when you were doing it, you uh, 
you fit right into it. But as time yeah. has gone on. Yeah. Right. Dr. Callender, I worry when they make recommendations like that, that old people's lives don't matter. That's that's what I, I, I wonder if, you know, because a lot of times they'll say, well, do you want to get treatment? They ask my mother, do you want treatment? And she looked at them all crazy and she said, did you just tell me I had cancer? And the doctor said, yes. So she said, yes, I want treatment. She got indignant because he asked her, did she want treatment? Well, I agree and, with him. And I, I understand that. And I wonder sometimes when they say, oh, after 50, you don't need to do this. I'm like, I got my lady parts all. I want to be here. I want to live. So I'm going to go on and get my screenings because I care if you don't. That's my attitude. Well, as I, as I, as I stated, uh, the uh, concern is that uh, when the screening procedure is more likely to cause complications than it is to uh, prevent something, then then it, the, the option is yours. Uh, it's just that there are complications from every uh, procedure. Colonoscopy has its complications. Uh, mammography uh, is, is often uncomfortable. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, so I don't think the reason that they're saying not to get it done after those ages is because that that you're likely to die. What they're saying is that uh, when the procedure is more likely to cause complications than it is to help you, then it's optional. Uh, and they, uh, re they recommend against it. Colonoscopy uh, is a great procedure, but it has complications. People have died from colonoscopy. Mm -hmm. And so... So that that's that's the concern. It's not that they are concerned about the fact that you are going to die soon, because the expectation is, if you're going to live ten years, then the option of getting a colonoscopy is there for you. But the recognition is that colonoscopy to people who are older than eighty uh, may be more risky than it is for somebody who's seventy, uh, because you may have. Uh, complications and we've had doctors and other people who had colonoscopy who died from complications yeah. of the colonoscopy. So that's the reason. It's not because uh, your and I think your your uh, relative was quite appropriate. If, if you tell me you have cancer, of course I want to be treated. Right. Because cancer is a lethal disease if it's not yeah. treated. Right. But I think your point is, I think it's appropriate for you to have, and if you have a family history of cancer or if you have a genetic uh, uh, history uh, that shows that you have vulnerability, then that's an exception to the rule. And that's why we mentioned under uh, item number four, uh, that if uh, you have a personal history of cancer, family history of cancer, or any genetic mutation that gives you an increased risk of cancer, then, then uh, this does not apply to you. Uh -huh. So I think one of the questions are very legitimate and it's appropriate to uh, take it into consideration that one size does not fit all, particularly if you have a family history or personal history cancer. One of the complications of colonoscopy can be reaction to a general anesthetic. So my suggestion would be to ask your doctor 
if you can get the colonoscopy without anesthetic? Well, the, the, the complication of colonoscopy, uh, the, the greater complication isn't the anesthesia. It's actually the perforation of the colon by the colonoscopist, okay. uh, which is can associate, be associated with lethal uh, oh. com complication. People have died from that. And uh, <clears throat> I just thought that the older you get, the more fragile the colon is, and therefore the risk of perforation is is, is considerable, and uh, that's why, that's the reason why they are saying that uh, after a certain age, if you have no personal history of cancer and you have not been a former, that uh, maybe you might do without the colonoscopy. Oh, okay. Anesthesia is just one of the complications. Well, that's not the greatest complication to me. The greatest complication is death, and that can occur uh, if you perforate the colon. And we've had uh, examples of that. I have a question, Dr. Callender. Uh, number six, I think. No, 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 number seven. Uh, what is an abdominal aortic aneurysm? Okay, that's where you have the abdominal aorta, which is the largest blood vessel in the body. Uh, and what happens if it gets larger than uh, five centimeters? Uh, that's abnormal, and it means that if it gets larger than that, it may burst open and you bleed to death. Uh, and uh, so uh, if you get an ultrasound of the abdomen and it shows that your abdominal aorta is uh, normal size, then that's fine. But if it's if it's larger than normal, the possibility of that being an aneurysm, which could rupture and kill you, becomes mm -hmm. greater. And so that and for men over sixty five, this is a concern. I think this is what Albert Schweitzer died of. Mm -hmm. uh, he they made a diagnosis, but he didn't want to have surgery, and uh, his aneurysm ruptured and he bled to death. So how often would you have that done? Probably uh, every five or 10 years. Okay, thank you. Um, and the ultrasound is painless. It's not uncomfortable at all. It tickles. Yeah. <laughs> I, would okay. like, I would like to address the mammogram issue. Um, yeah, I'm... 75, I mean, 79 going on 80. And my primary care doctor still asked me about doing my mammogram every year. So looking at the age of 75, I've been having mammograms ever since you're supposed to start. And I've never had any abnormal mammogram. So I'm wondering now why every year and even my um, insurance people call on a regular basis for me to schedule my mammogram. So well, I, I think that uh, uh, there's a, a good reason why people consider, you know, people over 75 do develop breast cancer. Uh, and uh, 
the reason that they are suggesting against it is because sometimes the mammogram will pick up things that aren't cancer and, and they will require op operations that uh, may not be necessary. But uh, I think if your doctor thinks you should have a mammogram, then go for it. Yeah, Especially if the mammogram is not particularly uncomfortable to you. Yeah, well, that's that's that same doctor that my physical was on the phone, my yearly physical. Oh my goodness! Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> <I, I'm, laughs> oh, I'm not a person that have a lot of problems. I don't take any prescribed medicine or anything like that. But I'm just wondering, after looking at this, why am I still doing a mammogram every year? I'm, yeah. You're still alive, and you want to be, stay alive. Well, they they, but you can see that they recommend against it. So, yeah, that's 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 my thing. If they if doctors are recommending against it, why is my primary care telling me to? And yeah, that's interesting. And my this, insurance this, calling. Yeah, well, this is the the newest recommendations by the uh, uh, Cancer Society. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. I mean, I think, uh, uh, but th this is their recommendation. So yeah, but uh, other sure. family history too, that plays a role in it for you major know. role. Yeah, family, no family history, history and genetic predisposition. She's shaking her head. No, no family. No family history. history. No family. History. So, well, yeah. anyway, these are these are the recommendations of the American Cancer society uh, so use your judgment uh, but uh, uh, it's it's done with a lot of concern and forethought that they don't want people who uh, don't need to be screened to be screened uh, people who need to be screened with the history and genetic situations uh, that's another story and and actually um my um, colonoscopy, the same thing. My doctor is asking us to come every three years at our age instead of five or ten. <laughs> <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> the, this study tells me a lot. <laughs> well, I think what you do is uh, if you, you ask your doctor, uh, tell wow. me this is this is what the American Cancer is saying. What do you think about it? Do you think that that's reasonable or should you still continue to ask your doctor about it? Yes, tell, I, I tell agree. That you, you got this information and uh, you'd like to, to hear what they think about it. I agree with that. Janice, you had a question? Yes, I do. Um, I had a, um, I'm like Betty. I go every year. I'm 73, never had a problem. And um, the last time, a couple of years ago, a year or so ago, I had to come back and they wanted me to come back every four months, every six months. And then mm -hmm. in October, they said I was good and I don't have to come back for another year. Um, I had a visit this week with my primary care doctor and he was looking at the results of my, of my um, mammogram. He said, oh, it looks great. It looks great. No signs of calcification, which was the diagnosis that they had, which is why they released me back to once a year. So if now there's no calcification, how does that go away? How does it come? 
Uh, what causes it? Well, if are you saying you had calcification and yes? And oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, and because so this usually, week he said, "Oh, it looks great. No calcification." Okay, I didn't do anything, but interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 if you have dense breasts, uh, yes. then it, it does require uh, different testing. Uh, so if you have dense breasts, it's a little different than if you don't have dense breasts. Yeah, I have dense breasts, and now they do, what is that, the 3D or whatever that extra um, mammogram is, and that's what I have. Oh, okay. Well, if you have dense breasts, yeah, uh, then, then that, that would be an additional risk. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, I'm calcification free, whatever that means, but that's good. So I'm yeah. going to leave it at that. Yeah, because that uh, is often associated with malignancies. Mm -hmm. Any other comments or questions about this apparently controversial uh, screening issue that the American Cancer Society has put out? It's food for thought and discuss it with your doctor. And then your doctor who is examining you in some instances <laughs> uh, uh, can, can, can uh, kind of defend his or her position on the subject because the Cancer Society is looking to do what is the best interest and the safest for patients at all ages. Okay, well, that's kind of real healthy discussion of uh, uh, this is uh, the uh, uh, comments from the yoga master. Is this the one? Yeah, okay. Uh, this is to let us know that as we enjoy ourselves during the holiday, that we keep in mind some do do things that enhance our digestion and detoxification, uh, do things that alleviate our stress, uh, uh, have a holistic health enhancement ideas, and uh, I think uh, cultivates inner peace, increased flexibility, uh, yoga, as well as the things that Dale has talked about uh, forever. Uh, all aspects of this. And then, of course, yoga itself uh, with its breathing and its uh, exercises uh, uh, is all about peace and tranquility and doing what is healthy. John, comments you want to make? This this is from my yoga instructor. And if, if you're interested, she, uh, she has classes online three times a week. And... Uh, uh, if you want to check her out, the uh, the, <clears throat> the link is at the at the very bottom. You can click on that, and it'll take you right to her to her website. But it's something you could do right at home. You don't have to go in. We used to meet in person, but with COVID, now everything's uh, online. But uh, yoga definitely has a has a lot of uh, benefits. So I just wanted to include that. That's it. Thank you very much. Very good. Okay. 
Well, you know, it's in, in the United States, it's just something that uh, every week it seems like we have a, another mass shooting. And uh, uh, this uh, article actually re-examined the connection between mass shooting and mental illness. And in, in over 85% of the cases, it identified that uh, they actually did have mental illness associated with it. And one of the problems with mass shootings is that most of the, many of the people who do these mass shootings, they sh kill themselves after they do it. And so the opportunity to really discuss their mental history is not possible. Uh, but uh, talking to their family members and others, they have been able to look at uh, uh, some 55 shooters and were able to identify that 87.5% uh, had different psychiatric diagnosis. Uh, with the majority having schizophrenia uh, and other uh, personality disorders and PTSD as well. So, uh, and we just had this Las Vegas shooting uh, yesterday. Uh, I don't know, we they, we did not yet know uh, the history on this person uh, who was, who subsequently shot themselves. And many of these mass shooters uh, kill themselves or they get killed in the process. But it is clear that mental illnesses play a role in many of these shootings. Any other comments or thoughts about this disastrous problem that we face in the United States that most, many other countries don't have this concern? Any other thoughts about it, Carol? Yes, I was just wondering, um, St. Elizabeth, since they've closed down, do we have any facility that's like St. Elizabeth, or they're not known, or what facilities do we have to treat uh, mentally ill people? Uh, well, we still have uh, uh, St. Elizabeth and other places that uh, treat, most hospitals uh, have, take care of mentally ill patients. Okay. And, and most hospitals do, and then, of course, St. Elizabeth does as well. So they're but, still uh, functioning. Uh, we'll say again. It's saying Elizabeth still functioning. Yeah, still, still, it still takes care of some mental ill, Ill patients. So, although uh, we all recall when they dumped all of their patients out on the street, mm -hmm. and many of the homeless were uh, mentally ill patients. Mm -hmm. Mark, you had a question. Yeah, just a comment on the uh, the mass shootings. I, I think it's um, it's a symptom of America. This is just my observation. That's, this is just a symptom of uh, Western civilization where we are now. Uh, yeah, mental illness is a part of it, but I think it's just one part. Um, you know, the the uh, the mindset to you know, kill others. You know, that, that's a psychopath in and of itself. 
I mean, but then there's you know access to guns because you know we there's there's a thing of of kid shooters, you know, and teenage shooters and things like that. So they there's access to guns. Um, there's you know, and even when it comes to I, I've seen some stuff where it talks about um, you know video games and such, and so it kind of puts you know certain people with a certain mindset into the, this trance of of accessibility. You know, of saying that you know th- these kinds of things are possible. You can you can shoot up entire swaths of people, you know, with little or or to you know to no effort, you know. But I I think it's it's beyond mental illness. It's just a a perfect storm of you know what's what's happening in in particularly Western civilization altogether. I yeah, agree. I agree with you. I don't think it's just Western. I think it's U.S. mentality. It's a gun, a gun culture, and it's fueled by white supremacy and the fear of losing their status as being the the, the predominant and the uh, favored race. They're afraid of all the menta- all the all the minorities because of all the things that they have done to the us over the past. And they, in the United States, they keep talking about the Second Amendment. They talk more about the Second Amendment than they do the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and they act like the Second Amendment is came from God. So I, I think it's a United. I think it's a USA mentality, gun, the gun culture. And it's it's not just mentally ill. I think you can warp into that. But there's a lot of people walking around. They got a gun mentality, and I don't think they're, I don't think they're mentally ill. I think they're evil, but I don't think they're mentally ill. Well, the psychiatrists say that 87 percent of them are mentally ill. So that's all. They only they only say that uh, of the people that they studied, 87 uh, percent of them had mental illnesses. Uh-huh. Okay, there was a lot I got to deconstruct here because uh, I hear uh, reference to minorities and uh, melanated people are definitely not a minority. Uh, when you include the, the 1 billion melanated people in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, and uh, there's another about uh, 1.5 billion dark-skinned people in the, uh, in the, in- in the Indian continent, uh, so you got two and a half billion people out of eight billion people on the planet compared to uh, Caucasians, uh, European style Caucasians are about 500 million. That's less. That's uh, that's half a billion. We are not a minority. Uh, some people say that uh, we don't have a gun problem. We've got a mental health problem. And, you know, we just said that access to guns is a problem, which is very true. But uh, when you do a Google search on which what country has the highest rate of mental illness, United States is number one, Colombia and Netherlands and Ukraine tended to have higher prevalence of estimates across all classes of disorders, while lesser developed countries, Nigeria, Shanghai, and Italy were consistently low, and prevalence was lower in Asian countries in general. So richer countries have higher rates of mental health issues compared to poorer countries, and one of the reasons we started off talking a conversation about loneliness, mm-hmm. and and uh, 
richer Western countries, there's a higher prevalence of single family households, where in lesser developed countries, you have multi-generational households. So loneliness, mental illness is really a modern problem because when you have multi-generational households, it's hard to get lonely when, you got a, when you're living in a house full of people. It's hard to have a lot of the mental illness problems uh, without loneliness. And when you're in a house full of people, you tend to be saner. So, you know, we like to be selfish and we've got a family, an extended family that we want to put them in different places, you know, stay in your own house or go to assisted living or a nursing home. But if we have the multi-generational households, it would solve a whole lot of problems, including loneliness and gun volumes, you know, I mean, uh, 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 gun issues. Uh, there's a whole lot of um, uh, kids, especially um, white kids, uh, they stockpile all these weapons as 16-year-olds and they build bombs and all of that. And uh, parents said, I had no idea he was doing all of that. <laughs> you know, if you're in a multi-generational household, everybody knows what everybody's doing in that house. So, you know, encourage some people to move in with you and we'll solve the world the world's problems. I, I have a question. Shoot. Um, John Tatum invited me to this conversation, but uh, what Welcome. constitutes... What constitutes mental illness versus anger issues? I mean, well, they 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 qualify different because personality disorder is is uh, still an, a mental illness, but uh, it's uh, it's not the same category as uh, schizophrenia, but it's uh, still and and of the of the diseases that you can treat, uh, uh, person. Per, personality trait disorders is probably the most difficult to treat uh, because the, you have medication for the uh, schizophrenia and some of the other ailments, but for the uh, trait disorders, it's, once you've got them, you've got them. And uh, so uh, this it's still part of the mental uh, illness category, as you see them identified here. Uh, and so uh, so to me, it's clear that many of them have uh, mental illness issues, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, it's 100 percent. It's 87.5 percent. So you got another 10 percent who uh, may have may not have had uh, mental illness. The other issue is that some of them just kill themselves after they do it, and so you aren't able to ascertain the extent to which they're mental illness ex existed or did not exist. So very quickly, so you, you said the difference between um, anger and, and mental illness. I, the first thought that came to my mind is, you know, uh, everybody gets angry, but, you know, I think where the mental illness starts probably is where, you know, people act out on that anger or, or they they act upon their, what was being called intrusive thoughts. You know, everybody has those kinds of angry thoughts and you know most people would just see to themselves or just talk about it but i think where it just crosses the line is where people you know act out or, or they they act out their revenge or they act out their thoughts you know i think it's the behavior that, that kind of makes the difference between just being regular angry and then tipping over to mental illness mm -hmm. nobody said anything about the food we eat and the water we drink in rich countries 
No, no one has uh, found any association of that yet. Any other comments, uh, Jim or Janice or I, anyone I, else? I kind of also think um, our programming on television and the, the different things on that you can reach through your phone uh, has a lot to do with some of the behavior. You know, you see, it used to be back in the day that you just had normal things on TV, but now everything is a shoot up or a crime or, you know, so I think that has something to do with um, the mindset of people. They see it, so they feel like they can do it as well. Especially if they're lonely and they're yes. mentally ill. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> true. Um, I have one question, particularly for Daryl. Uh, there's always been mentally ill people and living in the house. And I'm just thinking, um, we do do this to people. We isolate them, even our children. Um, when you're raising a lot of children, it's poor countries. They're all piled up in one bedroom piled up on each other. Um, in rich countries, they got their own bedroom and their isolation. But with our country so um, alright, uh, we have mentally ill people in our families. And to take them into your family, into your home is upsetting because we don't have the facility since they weren't raised around us and then all of a sudden you dump this mentally ill person in your home. Um, it, I don't think it helps them, not one bit. So when you say, you know, we all need to be back in the house together, um, you would have to start that way. You couldn't end up that way. I don't know if anybody, everybody has someone that we know should have been committed, but they're not. And to have them to come in your, live in your house, I don't know. Probably I would go mentally ill. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> rambling. But he would say, you know, we all need to be together and all these individuals and everything. Sometimes it's just that peace and tranquility that John Buchanan was saying. When you do yoga, you can't do yoga when you got a house full of people. Well, I take you back to the uh, to the movie Soul Food. Um mm -hmm. You know, that's the, uh, the movie about black family who uh, met at Big Mama's house every Sunday for Sunday dinner. Yeah. And they had crazy Uncle Charlie living upstairs. Uh, they locked him in the room, and they just threw his food in three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to say something. I grew up in a, a multi-generational uh, household and um, across the alley from the Tatums. And we grew up in um, a culture where in that household, um, the family unit cared about one another. And <clears throat> in our neighborhood, our neighbors cared about us as children. So <clears throat> when we did anything, just to give you an example, uh, Kevin Tatum and I were best friends. And if Kevin got in trouble, and if I was at Kevin's house, Kevin would get a spanking and I would get a spanking. <laughs> because I was with Kevin and I would be sent home across the alley and the Tatums would let my mom know 
that I got a spanking. And when I got home, I got another spanking. <laughs> so we lived in a community where the parents cared about the, each other's children. And we've lost that uh, morality. We've lost that sense. Uh, you can't talk to a child. You can't berate a child now or even uh, correct a child. The Bible says, you know, train a child in the way that he should go. And when he gets older, he was not deferred from it. But those, those, those um, semantics have not have been lost over a period of time. And, there, and I, I kind of question why, because if we were brought up like that and we trained our children and their children, our children trained their children, where, where was that space of time when that was lost? Because nobody respects that anymore. You don't, people don't respect, you know, young kids don't respect, you know, older people. I call Johnny's uh, father, Mr. Tatum, you know, and his mom, Ms. Tatum. I didn't call them by their first names. Um, and that's, that's the respect that we were taught. And we grew up that way. Thank you. And that's been lost. So... I, I can't understand. I mean, it's just, it's the wild west out here now. <laughs> and those morals, those values have been lost. Just just to kind of put some uh, academic terms to it, um, what, what we're experiencing and what you guys are talking about is uh, individualism. You know, Western society, America in particular, is most noted for that. You know, we're, we're focused on individualism um, and there are a few other countries that are like that, but, you know, we, we're kind of like the, the flagship and then, but as opposed to a uh, collectivism, you know, where it's, a, it's about the whole, it's about the family group, the family dynamic more than it is about individual accomplishments. Um, and, and there are a few countries that are, are collectivists uh, as a collectivist society as well. Um, so I, I think we, we're just we're battling that those two dynamics, um, or we're we're battling the individual. We're realizing that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of fame and glory for individualism, but we see that there's also a lot of there's a big there's a huge downside to that as well. You know, we're we're not thinking about the the whole or the unit and that sort of thing. So um, it's just kind of the world we live in. Carol, you want to say okay. something? Again, I'm going to say this. It started in the 60s civil rights era. Specialists started where children had rights. It's our generation that put in all these laws. Now that Blacks have rights, children have rights. Everybody has rights. When they put in the law in the school, children have rights. Then they said children cannot be abused anymore because someone went over so parents cannot chastise. Then they came up with the drug war and they instructed children, stranger danger. So if they weren't your parents and they were just neighbors, they could no longer by law chastise you. And you have every generation blames the last generation. They never blame themselves. But it's whatever generation during the 60s and 70s and 80s that put all these laws in place. When I first started teaching in the 70s, in certain states, you could have corporal punishment. 
but in other states because of the civil rights era, no longer. Now children and parents, parents can be prosecuted because of physical abuse unless they scare their kids enough. Kids cannot, no stranger can chastise a kid unless their parents enforce that. So laws have changed. We're going to have to stop thinking how it used to be. Look at the laws of how they are and see. I used to teach in this day of age. I cannot have those same concepts and what my culture was in teaching today because you can't even make a child right over and over. I will not kick the teacher anymore, nor will they get chastised because that's called abuse. And these laws have been put in place. Now, unless a household has just completely ignored it and they don't get caught with everybody's phone camera that they're abusing their child and then be brought up for char charges. Even if a teacher is attacked and everybody got their cell phones and see that a student goes across the room and attacks the teacher, they but it's all on the phone, that teacher still will be fired. Even in the 70s, if a child attacks them and they hit the child back, once you hit that child back, you have lost your rights because the children have their rights. So we're going to have to stop thinking what used to be, yeah, that was fine for our generation. But think about, we at least got one or two that are still working in this society. It has changed so much. And we're wondering why we're more mentally ill because we don't have those safeguards. We don't have the family group. We don't have the family neighborhood. People can live in a neighborhood for years and not know their neighbors. Jeez. So that's all I have to say because I could say more about that. Oh, they also got rid of textbooks. They right? also got rid of prayer and the Bible. Amen. Right, they got you can't pray in school except for when somebody dies and they say, Oh, let's give them a moment of prayer. So you gotta die or something, and everybody got that silent moment and you pray to whomever God you have. But that's when but even though Congress still prays, but anyway. No, you could still you could still at, at my school, at my high school, they allow uh the uh Muslims to go to a quiet corner and pray. Um but so I, I, I so I, I got to look up and see what the exact rule is. So I guess they're, they're trying to ban corporate prayer because also I heard about it in my school. The the last principal um, would make everybody like she she would call a staff meeting and she would end it with prayer, like whether you were a Christian or a believer or not. So you know, so it was it was a bit of a of abuse of power. So and so I think it goes back and forth. Like I, I think it, it depends on you know what what the uh, rule of law is yeah they also had a law teaching music we could not say the word christmas we had to have a holiday break because you couldn't use christmas but i still sang jesus is the reason for the season anyway and i wasn't put in jail but it's according how bold you are muslims can pray but christians cannot but that's a whole new different subject yeah, it's it the used same to be subject. part of the educational pro uh, process was to teach children to be good citizens and good people. And so civics were taught, ethics were taught. Uh, but when you remove that, you remove some of the guardrails. Uh, you know, when you teach people to be good people, they'll behave accordingly. When you remove that, 
then, uh, especially when you combine it with what Mary Ellen was talking about, uh, the lack of censorship. So where every time they see a movie, there's a gratuitous killing, violence, and sexuality. Uh, you know, we're teaching them to be the complete opposite of good people. Okay, any other final comments? We've, <laughs> we've discussed it uh, appropriately. Okay, uh, moving on to SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, uh, which is something that, again, uh, a mental health issue that, uh, and, and you can see it itemizes the symptoms. And as you look at them, you, uh, you can see a lot of people have all of these symptoms when uh, time changes. Uh, what is good about this article is that not only does it talk about what SAD is, but it also talks about ways to treat SAD. And uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't quantify how effective the treatment is, but it does identify the risk factors for SAD and the, uh, uh, what they allege are the causes of SAD, as well as the treatment of SAD. And uh, most of it is by uh, antidepressant medications and psychotherapy and phototherapy. Uh, but uh, uh, it doesn't quantify the extent to which the treatments are successful or unsuccessful. Uh, but uh, it is uh, uh, an entity that uh, is more common than we'd like to believe and uh, uh, is, is, is a uh, results in depression that can have suicidal consequences. Do any of you know people who have said? What do you say? What does SAD stand for? Seasonal Affective Disorder. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 a lot more common than you might think. So yeah, I I I knew someone who um, for this was a was a problem, but I, I I read I was reading some other literature on this, and um, so and I, I saw where it was it was pretty much generational. Like it was beyond just the season, beyond just you know the losing daylight every hour. Um, it was it, that, and it became a thing where it was about this time of the year, way a long time ago when they were pregnant. And this is a bit of a stretch. Please be fair with me. When when they were when they were in the womb, they uh, they first their mother first realized that they were pregnant and it was basically an unwanted pregnancy. So that, that kind of feeling kind of subside, kind of was transferred to the baby. And it's like, so every year around that time, they kind of get these feelings of, of unwantedness and, and, and sadness about that same time. And I found that to be quite strange as a correlation. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with uh, this uh, syndrome, and uh, it is real, and it's triggered by the 
uh, lack of light. Uh, and I think it's tied, like I said, to the circadian rhythm uh, a lot. But it it also might uh, uh, be exacerbated by having background depression anyway. I mean, uh, a lot of people suffer from, from depression and uh, the seasonal uh, light changes uh, uh, amplify depression if you already have it. Okay. Uh, this is uh, something that it's important to be aware of. Uh, it's an interesting outbreak of pneumonia in Ohio. And of course, this is the uh, season for that to occur. And uh, it's not surprising that uh, pneumonia is increasing during the season. And of course, fever, cough, fatigue, chest pain, <laughs> coughing up. Uh, bloody or rusty sputum uh, is sometimes uh, one of the consequences. And we have all kinds of, of uh, pneumonias. We've got viral, we've got bacterial, we've got mycoplasma pneumonia. Uh, I think one of the uh, most important things to do is to, if you have any, shortness of breath or chest pain or, 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 or any kind of infection that lasts longer than uh, five to seven days and you need to see a doctor about it. These are the signs and symptoms that you see and these all go with uh, uh, pneumonia, but they go with a number of other things as well. But I, I think that uh, anything that lasts more than uh, five days is is important to see a doctor about. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you have a temperature greater than a hundred, uh, that and uh, and if you get uh, this, then is it goes a step beyond the URI because this then uh, talks about actually pneumonia and. Uh, uh, also, tuberculosis presents in the same kind of fashion. And of course, if you have blue tips of fingers, well, mm -hmm. all of this, all of these symptoms here are signs that you need to go to the emergency room. Uh, because if not, you're going to die at home. I, I'm surprised they didn't mention the uh, the vaccine for uh, pneumonia. Right. Uh, and of course, uh, yeah, they don't mention that. But uh, uh, as as we all know, there's a vaccine for pneumonia as well. Particularly for those of us who are over 65. Now, this is uh, an expected change in CVS drug pricing formula, which is very desirable, and it would decrease 
the amount that you pay for drugs. Uh, this is a uh, timing is good because uh, uh, there's a crackdown in, in many areas of a big pharma making so much money on its on its drugs, and so uh, we've had a number of articles on ways in which you can uh, get the pharmacist to decrease the amount that you pay for medications. And this CVS pricing model is uh, the most recent. I don't know when it's gonna manifest itself, but it's something that uh, we can look forward to. They say it's starting in 2025. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh -huh. Yeah, the CVS. We got to be around. <laughs> yeah, we got to be around. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Haley uh, wants to uh, make a difference. Uh, question is, is this going to happen? Uh, we often encounter. Uh, people who want to change Social Security and Medicare. Uh, the question is, how do we do that and still maintain it? Uh, most people over 65 are drawing on this Social Security benefits. And uh, there's a concern that uh, this pool of money will run out. So how do you, how do you manage to save it? Yeah. I have. I don't have any idea. Nikki Haley says she does, and uh, I think the presidential campaign will have uh, people identifying how they're going to recommend changing. Uh, however, with politics, we recognize that some of these are just ploys to get us to vote for them. Uh, rather than to uh, actually make a significant change. And so uh, anybody else have any ideas about uh, whether any of this is likely to come become reality? I have one. What they need to do, I've heard some people say in the past, I think Bernie Sanders said it the first time I heard, they need to they need to continue to tax uh, uh, people that make more money. They have a cap on how much, uh, what sap, you know, what amounts of money they can take from the highest earners, and they need to raise that so that they're still paying into Social Security. Because you can best believe Trump is accepting his checks every month. <laughs> Any other I also, comment? I also feel they they need to pay the just the everyday workers a livable wage. And if they pay them yep. a livable wage, they will be taking more Social Security because the, the Social Security payment is associated with how much you make. But today, right. the children are making little to nothing. Some jobs are... 11.50, even the, the highest minimum wage, $15, 15 
is not really enough to, to live on in today's society. So I think if they gave everybody a livable wage, those people that are working, the social security um, fund would go up because people would have to put more, more in. It would be automatic, but... Um, they, Any other ideas or thoughts? Uh, all of them make sense, so. Okay, well, I think we uh, have to be aware of those things because uh, uh, they continuously talk about uh, in 2030 that uh, uh, the money for Medicare and Social Security will will run out. Now, this is an article uh, just came out that uh, says getting RSV and the flu vaccine together is safe for older adults. So uh, those of you who haven't gotten it yet, the RSV anyway, uh, and can get it together with the flu. There have been a number of articles that uh, have talked about getting the uh, vaccines together. This is the most recent. We're in December now, so uh, this is a time for all of us to have all three of the vaccines. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is something. This is uh, an article that says that uh, <laughs> The flu vaccine may protect against heart attack and cardiovascular events. Uh, uh, it's an interesting concept. Uh, and uh, associating things that have no relationship is something that we do all the time. So whether this will be borne out over time uh, remains to be seen. And this is the 4,000 patients we're studying. So. so time will tell. That's the same. Uh, heart attack and cardiovascular deaths. Flu vaccine. Uh, I think all of us are vaccinated, so. Yeah. When you look at HRs, if it's greater than one, that means that uh, you have an increased likelihood of death. If it's less than one, it means you have a decreased likelihood of death. And this associates uh, uh, flu vaccine with a decreased risk of cardiovascular events, heart attack, and death. That's what the data suggests. So. Okay, is this the last one or is there another one? Oh, well, uh, this is interesting article. And what it says is that uh, exercise is good, but uh, uh, those people who, who, who work real hard and uh, uh, actually kind of overdo it, wind up having dementia later on in life. Oh, wow. So, so they're, they're saying that uh, 
exercise is good, but uh, overdoing it, uh, the end result is that you get dementia later on in life. And so this is what the study is really addressing, saying that, uh, yes, uh, the right amount of exercise is good for you. But those people who have uh, physical exercise jobs like constructive workers and those who really work hard uh, uh, pay a price for it later on in life. And that price is increased dementia. So uh, that's food for thought. And uh, I guess we're going to have to have a lot of studies on this subject to find out if uh, hard workers, uh, hard physical workers, uh, bad for you. We know that uh, physical exercise is good and weightlifting is good. But how about those people who uh, spend all their time working outside and, and doing physical labor? Um, and the data that they have accumulated here suggests that there's an increased dementia risk in that population. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think about that? I know oh, I was with my husband out of off his chair now. What's that? He's gonna so, uh, <laughs> I, I think there's I think there's a um so I think there's a correlation between you know working hard you know exercising too hard and, and not eating right versus you know exercising and eating right. So I I've seen a, just a few quick YouTube videos of uh, gentlemen who are in their 60s, 70s, and they still have cut up muscles and things like that, and they, and they brag about you know how how well they work out. But but what's noticeable is what's remarkable is that you know they they also talk about their diet. You know they cut out a lot of foolishness and they try to eat healthy, and and I think that's what kind of supports their longevity in in that. So um, so I, I guess. To the point of the article, it may be just exercise alone, but you know, but I, I think nothing's wrong with exercising well, you know, as, as long as you're balancing that with eating well and proper rest and all that other stuff as well. Well, I think this article is also saying that uh, those people who who not only exercise but who actually work hard on the job and their job is physical uh, activity. Uh, that they have a paradox in the sense that they work so hard, but in the when they get into their 70s and 80s, uh, that they have a, a higher risk of dementia. Uh, oh. and, uh, and so that's what is the paradox, that uh, they're suggesting that the harder you work in your job, uh, the more likely you are to have uh, uh, dementia. In contradistinction to those people who are doing the exercise for health reasons, uh, and and uh, they have a limited degree of uh, of uh, exercise, whereas those other people who are just working hard uh, are perhaps, in some way, the paradox is the harder they work, uh, the more likely they are as they age to have cognitive defects. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, if this pans out over time, but that's what the suggestion is that you know dr county on the other end of the spectrum you know having a desk job all your life is not good either uh, well that, that well but that's not exercise 
So, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> uh, and they just haven't studied them. But uh, uh, I think the what many were hoping is that those people who work real hard uh, uh, did as well as those people who uh, exercise a lot. And uh, this this uh, data is suggesting that those people who work real hard uh, wind up with dementia later on. I bet it's another factor in there. I bet it's a factor of what they eat, just like Mark said. Because maybe, but that's that hasn't been studied. So. Yeah, and and the people that work that do the physical work, they don't make as much money. And when you don't make as much money, you don't eat. A lot of times you don't eat as well because cheap food is bad food. And that's the food that you buy. And you get the when you don't have a lot of money. Well, that hasn't been studied, so. Uh, yeah, you may be right. This is a this is a uh, uh, kind of unfortunate study in which uh, they recognize the people who had you know we, we talked about colonoscopy and endoscopy and and one of the uh, risks that is associated with endoscopy is the fact that at this place they were not cleaning the instruments appropriately and as a consequence. The people oh, who had no. the colonoscopies were exposed to excessive risk for HIV and hepatitis. Oh my goodness! And mm -hmm. so, they, therefore, they are suing them uh, for that. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but this is something that has been identified before, uh, and 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 that's one of the other reasons why they're talking about uh, 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 the high risk for uh, uh, colonoscopy because there are other uh, I think uh, you you had mentioned earlier that uh, the anesthesia is a risk, but also are the instruments that they use for the endoscopy procedures if they're not cleansed appropriately. This oh, is a situation okay. where this did not did not occur, and so these people are at risk for HIV and hepatitis. Oh. yeah. Probably Dr. Calendar is. How would you even know that you had it after the fact? Because HIV may not show up for years down the line. Same, same is true with hepatitis C. Yeah, that's, you're right. And so therefore, uh, what this means is those people would have to be studied and have to do tests for the virus, see if the virus is present. Uh, that's the only way they would know unless they actually came down with the disease. And then there's the statute of limitations so that uh, they can sue after they find out. I don't think there would be a statute of limitations. I think they would fight that if uh, uh, you were found to have the disease. Uh, I don't think that would apply. Yeah, how, how would you even know that it came from the hospital. And if you had a procedure at that hospital, then the likelihood of it is increased. And suppose you're a drug user. Yeah, say I was going to say, I was, I was say yeah, behavior. You know, your your the person's personal behavior kind of determines that. You know, if they 
if they don't if they don't engage in any other risky activity and they know that they have only the only activity that, that happened was that procedure at that hospital the all signs can point to that but you know so it depends on their behavior well remember back in the day before they had the good tests for uh hiv and people were having different procedures and contracting hiv like arthur ash got uh had his heart operation and and ended up with uh hiv and there, uh, there were a number of other people that had situations like that blood transfusions right Yes. And those little boys that had uh, hemophilia, they they contracted uh, HIV through through yeah, from blood transfusions. Right. And. OK, well, you know, this is interesting that uh, uh, people are still dying from COVID and uh, it's it's unfortunate because it's. Uh, Preventable for the most part. It's one of the, one of the things that makes it less identifiable is the fact that it's uh, not as bad as it was several years ago. But it's interesting that uh, COVID is still killing people. So. Mm -hmm. So we have to be, uh, be sure that we've got our COVID and our flu and our RSV shots. Mm -hmm. That's the moral of the story. It's 10.30, so this should be the last one. Uh, Dr. Callender, I heard yesterday, if we finish with the articles, I heard on the news yesterday about doctors, primary care doctors, um, some of them now going to something called concierge medicine where you pay extra for for your doctor to be available to you it's a fee you pay that's Have rich you people heard about that yeah. well it's like 1500 a year or something like that 1200 a year but a lot of primary doctors are going to that and leaving their regular practices to their um, less money. To their um, intern, either their interns or the the what are the other people that that they have taking care of their patients? Um, nurse practitioners. Yeah, nurse practitioners. $1,500 a year is not a lot of money. It must be more than that. No, They can make it, that on a month. No, but if each patient, if you want to be, have that concierge medicine, you would have to pay, I, put, I thought they said between twelve and 1500 a year. Yeah, mention if you could find an article and we can discuss that next week because that, that's an interesting concept. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was as well. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I have a question, a personal question for you. Do you remember a doctor at... Um... <laughs>